You're listening to the Odyssey Out Loud. I'm Anna Katerina. Episode 12, The Island of Ogygia. Dawn rose from bed beside noble Tithonus to bring light to the immortals and mortal men. The gods sat in council, high-thundering Zeus, whose power is greatest among them. Then Athena spoke, remembering Odysseus' many troubles. It worried her that he was in the nymph's house. Father Zeus, and you other, blessed everlasting gods, let no sceptered king be kind and gentle in earnest. Don't let him know anything about justice. Instead, he should be harsh and do unjust things, since none of the people he ruled remembers God like Odysseus, and he was kind as a father to them. But he lies on an island, suffering from intense pains in the halls of the nymph Calypso. She holds him by force. He can't get to his fatherland, there aren't any companions or long-oared ships with him to send him on the broad back of the sea, and now they want to kill his beloved child on his way home. He went after news of his father, to holy Pylos and divine Lacedaemon. Zeus, the cloud-gatherer, said back to her in reply, My child, what just came out of your mouth? Wasn't this your idea? For Odysseus coming back to revenge himself on those men? Since you are capable of guiding Telemachus skillfully, that's what you should do. That way he'll reach his fatherland unharmed, and the suitors will go back again in their ship. That's what he said, and then to Hermes, his beloved son, he spoke. Hermes, since you're also our messenger for other things, tell the fair-haired nymph our unerring will, the return of steadfast Odysseus, so that he may go, without an escort either from the gods or mortal men. Instead, suffering miseries on a tightly bound raft, he'll come to fertile Skeria on the twentieth day, the land of the Phaeakes who are near to the gods, and will honor Odysseus in their hearts alongside them. They'll give him plenty of gold and bronze and clothing, lots more than Odysseus could ever have carried off from Troy, even if he'd made it safely with his share of the spoils. And they'll send him on a ship to his dear fatherland, since it's his fate to see his dear ones and come to his high-roofed houses and homeland. That's what he said, and the messenger Argifontes, the untranslatable, swift-appearing, serpent-slaying Argus-killer, did not disobey. At once he bound his fine sandals under his feet, divine, golden, which carry him over water and boundless earth with the breath of the wind. He seized his wand, which he uses to enchant the eyes of anyone he wants, and wake the sleeping again. Holding it in his hands, strong Argefontes flew. He stepped from the air onto the mountain of Pieria, and then he fell to the ocean. He sped on the waves, looking like a seabird, the kind that wets its thick feathers with salt water as it catches fish in the deep, fearful furrows between the waves of the barren ocean. Just like that, Hermes was carried on the many waves. But when he arrived at that island, so far away, then he stepped from the violet dark sea onto firm land, and he went on, until he came to the great cavern where the fair-haired nymph lived. He found her inside. A great fire burned on the hearth, and the scent of cedar and easily split aromatic wood could be smelled all over the island as it burned. 
Inside she wove, going over the loom with her golden shuttle and singing in her beautiful voice. A thriving forest grew up around the cavern, alder and poplar and sweet-smelling cypress. Long-winged birds nested there, owls and hawks and seabirds with long tongues who make their whole livelihood on the ocean. A young vine, sprouting with bunches of grapes, was stretched right around the hollow cave. Four fountains in a row flowed with clear water close to each other but turned in different directions. Around them soft meadows of violets and parsley flourished, even a visiting immortal would stare and be delighted. The messenger Argefonte stood there and he admired it. Then, once he'd looked to his heart's content, he went right into the wide cave. But Hermes didn't find great-hearted Odysseus inside. Instead, Odysseus sat on the headland, like before, weeping, breaking his heart with tears and groans and pains, tears streaming as he looked out at the barren sea. Calypso, goddess of goddesses, had Hermes sit in a splendid, shining chair and asked him, Why, dear and respected Hermes of the Golden Wand, have you come to me? You certainly haven't visited very often before. Tell me whatever's on your mind. My heart urges me to do it, if I can. And it's possible. But come on in with me so I can make you welcome. So saying, the goddess put a table next to him, piled it with ambrosia and mixed red nectar. Then the messenger, Argefontes, ate and drank. Once he'd eaten and been satisfied with the food, right then he spoke and answered her. You ask me, goddess, why a god has come, so since you ask, I'll tell you the story straight. Zeus ordered me to come here. I didn't want to. Who would choose to run across so much unspeakable salty water? There isn't even a mortal city nearby, where they offer sacrifices and specially chosen hecatombs to the gods. But there's no way at all for another god to evade the mind of Zeus the Aegis-bearer, or let him down. He says that the man beside you is more miserable than any of the men who fought around Priam's city for nine years and sacking the city in the tenth went home. But on their way home, they sinned against Athena, who stirred up a bad wind and tall waves against them, and there all the others, all his good companions, perished. But carried by the wind and waves, he arrived here. And now Zeus commands you to send him off quickly. It's not Odysseus' lot to be destroyed far from his loved ones. It's still his fate to see his family and come to his high-roofed house and to his fatherland. That's what he said. And Calypso, goddess of goddesses, was shaken, and she said to him, voicing winged words. You gods are merciless and exceptionally jealous. You resent the goddesses who openly lie beside mortal men, not to mention those who want to make a beloved man her husband, like when rose-fingered dawn took Orion. You easy-living gods resented her until in Ortigia, pure golden-throned Artemis attacked with her gentle arrows and killed him. And like when fair-haired Demeter gave way to her heart, and made love in a bed of thrice-plowed fallow land with Iazion. Zeus wasn't unaware for long. He threw his bright lightning and killed him. So now again, you gods, begrudge me for having a mortal man at my side. I saved him, when he was alone carried by his ship's keel after Zeus, striking his swift ship with bright lightning, split it apart in the middle of the wine-dark sea. There all the others, all his good companions, perished, but carried by the wind and waves, he arrived here. 
I loved him. And I nurtured him, and I promised to make him deathless and ageless for all his days. But since there isn't any way for another god to evade the mind of Zeus the Aegis-bearer or let him down, have him go. If that's what he wants, and he makes the request, have him go across the barren sea. But I won't escort him anywhere, since I don't have any oared ships or companions with me who could convey him on the broad back of the sea. Still, I won't hide it. I'll advise him earnestly, so he can come perfectly safe to his fatherland. The messenger, Argefontes, said back to her, Send him off like that now. Respect the wrath of Zeus, or he might somehow start to resent you and be angry with you after. So saying, strong Argifontes left. After hearing Zeus' message, the lady nymph went to great-hearted Odysseus. She found him sitting on the broad seashore. His eyes were never dry. Mourning his homecoming, his sweet life flowed away from him. The nymph didn't make him happy anymore. But yes, out of necessity, he passed his nights in the hollow caves, the willing next to the unwilling. And his days sitting on the beach and the rocks, breaking his heart with tears and groans and pains, tears streaming as he looked out at the barren sea. Standing nearby, the goddess of goddesses addressed him. Poor man. Don't lament here any more now. Don't let your life decay. I'll send you off. I mean it, really. Come on, cut some long logs and use bronze to fit together a wide raft. Then fix an upper deck on it so it can carry you on the misty sea. Then I'll put in food and water and red wine as much as you want to keep hunger from you, and I'll put clothes on you, and I'll send you with a fair wind at your back so you can reach your fatherland perfectly safe. As long as the gods which hold wide heaven are willing, they are more powerful than I am both in thought and action. That's what she said. Then divine, long-suffering Odysseus was thrown, and he said to her, speaking winged words, Goddess, you've got something else in mind, not an escort at all. You're telling me to cross the great depth of the sea on a raft, the terrible, difficult sea which fast-balanced sailing ships don't cross, even enjoying a fair wind from Zeus. But whatever you want, I won't board a raft unless you, goddess, undergo to swear a great oath not to plan any other horrible trouble for me. That's what he said. Then Calypso, goddess of goddesses, smiled. She took his hand and said, You, Odysseus, are wicked. And you're no fool taking it into your head to make a speech like that. Let the earth take note of this now and wide heaven above, and the river Styx, which flows beneath, the greatest, most terrible oath for the blessed gods, I won't plan any other horrible trouble for you. But instead, I'll turn my mind to it, and I'll show you exactly what I'd plan for myself, if I was in your position. Because I am fair-minded, and the heart in my chest is made of compassion, not iron, so saying, the goddess of goddesses led the way quickly, and he walked in the footprints of the god. They came to the hollow cave, god alongside man, and he sat down right there on the chair Hermes had gotten up from, and the nymph placed all sorts of food beside him to eat and to drink, the kinds of things mortal men consume. 
She sat across from godlike Odysseus, and her slave women put ambrosia and nectar next to her. They put their hands to the good things laid before them. Then, after they'd eaten their fill of food and drink, then Calypso, goddess of goddesses, was the first of them to speak. Zeus-born Laertiades, resourceful Odysseus. If you want to go home to your dear fatherland now, right away, then fare you well. If you had any idea how much trouble you're destined to go through before you reach your fatherland, you'd stay right here with me. You'd protect this house and be immortal, no matter how much you want to see the wife you constantly long for. I'll say this, surely I'm not inferior to that woman either in looks or stature, since it's not remotely appropriate for mortals to strive with immortals in form and shape. Inventive Odysseus said, answering her, Lady goddess, don't be angry with me. I do know all of that very well. Side by side, thoughtful Penelope is lesser than you in form and in greatness. Since she's mortal and you are immortal and ageless. But regardless, I still wish and long every day to go home and see my homecoming day. If some god wrecks me again on the wine-dark sea, I'll endure it. I have a resilient heart in my chest. And I've already endured so much, I've worked hard at war and at sea. So add this to the total. That's what he said. And the sun sank and darkness came. The two went into the interior of the hollow cave, and, lingering beside each other, they delighted in love. You've been listening to The Odyssey Out Loud. I'm Anna Katerina. You can learn more and listen to new episodes at theodysseyoutloud.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash odysseyoutloud. Thank you for listening. <laughs>